0: Welcome back, good and loyal listening audience, to the Naga Notes podcast. I am your host, Jake Wiskirchen, and this week's episode explores the stresses of immigration. We get to sit down and talk to immigration attorney Carmen English about her experience with immigrants and what they go through when they move from one nation to another. She obviously is based in the United States because that's where I am. But we figured a lot of these concepts could apply broadly and uh, overall, you know, integrate mental health counseling services into those who are uh, looking to move and making big transitions and so forth. So we hope you find this a little bit different and enlightening. Again, sponsored by Zephyr Wellness, as always. That's uh, that's the company I co-own with my partner, Lindsay Bell. And uh, we invite you to check out the Zephyr Wellness website at zephyrwellness.org. And if you haven't already, if you happen to be listening to this podcast on the Noggin Notes app, we invite you to go give a rating and a review on iTunes or on Google Play because that helps drive listenership. And if you are listening on one of those iTunes or Google Play apps, such as a podcast app, and you haven't downloaded the Noggin Notes app itself, please consider downloading the Noggin Notes app because it's a great way to track your thoughts and your feelings throughout the course of a week, uh, throughout the course of your life, and it creates a timeline, and it's very, very cool, and we're trying to get the app into people's hands so that they can use it and, uh, and augment their own personal awareness, so it, it's, a, it's a digital journal, basically, that's housed right there on your phone, so check out the Noggin Notes app if you're not aware of that or uh, familiar with it yet. So without further delay, this is my interview with Carmen English, immigration attorney here in Reno, Nevada, in the United States and you can, uh, you can explore what type of immigration stresses are out there and uh, learn a little bit about a different topic than you may normally get exposed to. I know I learned a lot, and I hope that you do also. Enjoy. Well, here we are in the Naga Notes podcast, and I am your host, Jake Wiskirchen, as alluded in the intro, because I tend to write the intros also, and I'm joined by Carmen English, who is an immigration attorney in Reno, Nevada, and she's also my my third cousin. We should probably disclose that right True. up front and, and let less people wonder. But um, I wanted to bring this topic to, I guess, first of all, hi, Carmen. Hello. Hey. So uh, I want to bring this topic up to the listening audience because I think that immigration broadly affects people internationally and not just in the United States, although it is a hot topic here, both politically and culturally, and I guess uh, socially, because... So many people are affected, and we are truly a country of immigrants founded by people who didn't live here to begin with. Mm-hmm. So then you know, from there, our, our progeny sprung forth, and we've gotten ourselves to where we are today. But there's a lot of stress that accompanies immigration anywhere, anytime you move. Even if it's emigration with an E across uh, states within the same country, there's distress involved. You're leaving a, an, a known situation and going to an unknown situation, and I think mm-hmm. that's a, a good broad analogy for counseling as a whole, where you're, you're leaving that which you know and uh, growing into something which you don't know necessarily. So there's there's some stress that accompanies that. But specifically to immigration, I think I wanted to speak to the experts, so to, so to speak, and get some takes on how we can help people who might be listening to this alleviate some of that stress. And um, I'll, I'll shut up and let Carmen introduce herself. How long have you been practicing, by the way?
1: I have been practicing law for 10 years, and I've been doing immigration exclusively for five.
0: Okay, so in those five years that you've been practicing immigration, you've seen a lot of stuff, but I want to go back to the the five years preceding that. What were you doing, and why did you switch?
1: I was doing a couple different areas. Um, I originally started with estate planning. I really liked the idea of being able to plan ahead in people's lives, especially for potential unknowns. Uh, so I worked for an excuse me an estate planning firm for a while, uh, switched over to do some litigation, tried that out for a while, and it was okay, but a very contentious atmosphere. It doesn't really suit my personality type. It's and very exhausting from what I gather. It is, and every day you're fighting with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one day I was in a conversation with a member of the Council of the State Bar, and he said to me, you know... Immigration is a really huge need here in Nevada and there's just not enough people doing it. There's a couple of guys out there who are doing immigration law, but it's kind of a niche field. People don't really know it that well and the guys that are doing it are close to retirement. so if you're looking for a field, then I would recommend checking that out and when you got his- recruited. I kind of did. I kind of did. And it's funny because I was born in Switzerland. I'm a dual national, so I'm a citizen of two countries. And when he said that, it just kind of clicked into place for me. Like, of course, of course, this is what I need to do.
0: You were born in Switzerland, but you also lived a great deal of time in Alabama, which in and of itself is uh, somewhat of its own country. It's
1: its own country. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, But my dad was born here in Reno and he fixed the papers for me when I was five days old. So I was Mm. very, very lucky. I got what's called a... Um, certificate of birth abroad, which is basically that I was considered a U.S. citizen at birth, but just not in the
0: U.S. Let's jump right from the uh, <laughs> frying pan into the fire there. And there are a lot of people uh, in question right now who were not uh, you know, born Uh, on the other side of the border and were born here. They are considered citizens for for all intent and purpose. But then there's this big, giant pool of people who are in big question mark right now and in a big political embattlement in the United States. Speak to what's going on with that.
1: Well, there's a couple things going on. I mean, obviously, this administration is unfortunately very anti-immigration. We've seen it in a lot of different forms. Jeff Sessions has recently made some announcements. The U.S. Attorney
0: General, for those of you listening internationally.
1: Correct. Uh, Made some announcements making adjustments to asylum. So now uh, if you are coming to the U.S. and you are seeking asylum, you can no longer claim it based on domestic violence or gang violence. And obviously the Central South American countries are experiencing a lot of gang violence. That's a big reason why there is such an influx of people coming Mm. and truly and legitimately seeking asylum. And so him making the statement that that is no longer a qualifying factor is really kind of devastating to all of those families that are trying to get away from all of that danger.
0: Yeah, we want to make this podcast or this particular episode not about the politics of the thing because we could debate that ad nauseum. Mm -hmm. We want to make this about the stress of the thing. So uh, picture in your mind your family is enduring ongoing violence around you day and night. I mean, I don't know that too many people in America are exposed to the Latin American Atrocities. I think we hear a lot about the Middle Eastern atrocities because Mm -hmm. it's it's the hot topic du jour. So, picture. I guess we'll just use that as an an example because it tends to be in people's forefront. Uh, You got bombs going off. You got you got people killing each other. You got warring factions, and your family is just trying to make it in whatever profession you're trying to make it. And you can't because um, things are being blown up and people are uh, getting killed. So you decide, you know, at the Uni- United States kind of has its act together for all intent and purposes. We're, we're going to escape to there uh, because they're safer. Uh, they have a police force that works. They have a government that's responsive. I mean, criticisms aside of all those things, uh, generally we are safer than wherever you're fleeing. Otherwise, you just stay wherever you are. So picture these people with their children in tow, ages, you know, zero to whatever and um, and they get to our border, and then what?
1: Well, things are changing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I just want to mention is that specifically what's going on with the gang violence, and this is what makes what's happening at our border right now so tragic, is that oftentimes the gangs will recruit children. Um, they will harass them, they'll stalk them, they'll show up at their schools or come to their homes, and they'll say basically, we need you to be our drug runner.
0: This sounds like... Uh central Africa or uh, or the Middle East, mm-hmm. even with ISIS recruiting mm-hmm.
1: absolutely, and the families i mean they they try to escape as best they can, but unfortunately, the gangs know where they live and in some of the worst situations, they will take a child and make an example out of him, and basically kill him, hang him up in the streets, and say, "Hey, if you guys don't do our our drug business for us, this is what happens to you, so you've got these families who that ultimately are trying to protect their kids, that's why they're fleeing. They come to the border and they're wanting to ask for asylum. Well, what's happening at the border right now is the administration has decided to purposely um, uh, separate families. Okay, there's family separation going on, which is what's that mean? Oh gosh, it's terrible. It's they're they're taking the parents and separating them from the children. So the children are being processed separately, oftentimes in separate facilities from the parents, which is extremely disturbing because the children have already gone through enough trauma mm-hmm. um, with the the situation of things at home, with trying to make the journey, which in and of itself is its own dangerous thing. And now they get to the border of a country that is supposed to stand for, you know, give me your tired, you're weak, you're poor, everything the Statue mm-hmm. of Liberty says. And instead, they're getting ripped apart from their parents. Um, I believe there was a report that came out that ICE had lost... Somewhere around 1,100 children. They don't know wow. where they are in their facilities. They've lost track of them, which is completely unacceptable.
0: So that kicks it. Uh, and, and again, we, we of course, we, we want to have compassion for children. We're, I, I invite you to watch the judgmental language because, you know, unacceptable, it, it, to my ears, absolutely is true. It's absolutely unacceptable. There may be some people listening who go, well, you know. There are people across time who stood in their country and fought for their, you know, freedom and whatnot, and they stood up to the gangs with, you know, sticks and rocks. And so we don't want to go there. We don't want to necessarily say, you know, how bad it is. We know it's bad. We shouldn't be treating humans this way. But from a mental health standpoint, uh, I as a professional are seeing these people who are stalled inevitably or maybe not, but inevitably we'll just pretend that they all eventually make it through, Mm -hmm. even though they're compartmentalized. They make it through. Well, now you've got fractured families who have to reunify, and that in and of itself is very challenging. Because working in this profession as long as I have, I've seen uh, families domestically in the United States who get fractured simply through parents' choice to abuse drugs or commit crimes, and they get sent off to in, you know be incarcerated or whatever, while the children fall into social services hands, and that is traumatizing. So to hear that the that the federal government is doing that intentionally, we don't know why. We're not going to speculate as why because i'm sure there's reasons on both sides and we can judge those later but they're separating them and we know that separation in and of itself causes trauma Mm -hmm. and trauma begets um poor poor behavior and all sorts of things it's bad productivity it's lack of concentration it affects physical health all of which of course cause a drain on the system overall Mm -hmm. uh, into which uh, these folks are are pouring because um, somebody's got to take care of them when they, when they fall ill. And if their physiological health suffers because they're stressed out about either not having their kids or their kids are stressed out because they don't know where their parents are, we end up covering it. We end up having to take care of them somehow. So they either fall into my care or your care or both. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I can absolutely judge that as a, as a poor decision to make on behalf of the the country as a whole. Um, but speak to your role in this. How does, how does an attorney manage to, you know, in the United States, barred in Nevada and California also, mm-hmm. anywhere else? Nope. Um, Two is enough. (laughs) How do you manage to help these folks get what they need in order to get safe and not be terrorized by gang violence or whatever it may be? Sure, sure.
1: Um, Well, you know, with every client that I meet, they come to me and they say, I wanted this or I wanted that. but. What we like to do is explore all the options, and they may be coming to me saying, I need a green card or I want a green card, but they may not qualify for a green card. They may not be eligible for it. There may be another status, so that they can get. I see. Um, or, what are some
0: of those statuses? I don't know.
1: Sure. So, for example, if you've been the victim of a crime, uh, you can apply for what's called a U visa, hmm. which is for individuals who have been cooperative with law enforcement, so they have to get certificates signed by the law enforcement agency saying, yes, this person is... Cooperated with us, they've given statements, they've given evidence, you know, whatever it is that they need.
0: These are still asylum seekers, or these no, people have been th- this here for is a while? A, these are people okay. that have
1: been here for a while, or maybe people that have just come, but they do have, you know, some kind of a crime that's happened to them. Okay. Um, so that's one example. Asylum is certainly another one. In order to file for asylum, you have to have a reasonable fear of being persecuted based on race, religion nationality, membership in a particular social group. Now and the
0: th- if I may interrupt, what I guess what's up in debate now is the, the definition of what's reasonable, right? Because there's people in our country who say, that's not reasonable that you're being persecuted by violent gangs.
1: Well, and this is where the attorney role is especially important because oftentimes when people are fleeing the country, they don't have a lot of documentation or proof with them. I mean, right, they left it behind. Exactly. Yeah. They're literally running here with the clothes on their back. Mm-hmm. So it's our job as the advocates to try and build the case and support the arguments with either information that we can get our, our hands on. You know, sometimes we can find news articles talking about what's been going on in the region or um, trying to get a hold of family members that are still in the country that may be able to get a police report or a death certificate or something evidencing what has gone on. Um, things that oftentimes the clients, you know, there's a language barrier, mm-hmm. there's an education barrier, and a general just misunderstanding of how the system goes. Um, our
0: system, you mean? Yes, yeah. our
1: system, and not only that, but dealing with just the emotional and, phys- and you know psychological trauma that they've just been through. It's hard for them to go back and revisit those memories. It's hard to think straight. Or, or even think straight, to, let alone to be able to tell your story because every time you file an asylum application, you're going to have an interview.
0: Mm-hmm. With an immigration mm-hmm. officer,
1: you're going to have to tell your story and you're going to have to prove it. So this is where I see the value of advocates coming in because, you know, yes, these, these are heart-wrenching stories. But the benefit is that because we are removed, one step removed from the situation, we're not necessarily going to be emotionally distracted. Sure,
0: sure. yeah, like much like a counselor would help somebody walk through their problems I'm mm-hmm. not so involved in it that I can't see uh, clearly. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I'm trying to figure out here the 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 idea of investigating the you know the documentation that they may or may not have brought with them or d- digging through the news articles is to make sure that their story checks out so that we don't as I'm thinking United States broadly we don't want to be inviting nefarious actors into our borders simply because they're hiding under the the shield of well violence is going on in Guatemala right. even though I'm claiming you know I'm I'm born and raised in I don't know, name some safe country. Uh, I'm from safe country X, but I'm going to claim Guatemala because I know the United States entertains Guatemala. You're going to want to check that backstory Mm -hmm. is what I'm hearing.
1: Exactly. Well, and not only that, but I think what a lot of people don't know is that the U.S. government actually does a very extensive background check on asylum cases, U visas, things like that. Um, Every application submitted to immigration, you're required to give your fingerprints. So they're checking, you know, international databases, Mm. FBI databases. So, it's not just...
0: Those are for the people going through the process appropriately, though, as opposed to, like, the people who are already here and then seeking um, Everybody. status. Anybody. Oh, okay. Any,
1: whether you're, Whether you're asking for something at the border or you've been here 20 years and you're filing your application for the first time. I see. Everyone's going to get a background check. So, I mean, one thing, especially like with refugees, attorneys don't even really deal with the refugees because they go through the Office of Refugee Resettlement. So it's like five layers of screening that they have to go through. And then the agency tells them what country they're going to. So they may say, okay, after three years of screening, we finally approved you for refugee status. Uh, Germany has 20,000 slots open. You and your family are going to Germany.
0: Fascinating, even though they may have chosen Canada Mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah, Mm. they're
1: told where to go. So, you know, that's the thing. I mean, a lot of times these refugees not only have had their whole life ripped apart, but now it's kind of being controlled by another agency. And they're just doing the best they can to, to put their lives back together in a new country with a new language, new culture, new everything.
0: That's, I'm learning a lot here, and, and I appreciate that um, usually our listening audience is entreated to you know 12 or 15 minutes of talking, and we've just crested 15, and we could probably tack on three hours more. But in order to keep it short, I want I to wanted, uh, separate maybe from the, the people in the process of them coming here to those who are already here, because those are the people you're going to work with, right? You're, you're not generally reaching across the border and assisting people across. Or are you? I do. You do? Mm -hmm. Well, all right. Well, let's park that for now because I want to turn the conversation to people who are already here seeking to establish themselves as citizens and upgrade or update, or I don't know what the phraseology is because I'm not an attorney, uh, their status so that they can be citizens here. And at what point might you help connect them with uh, counseling services like what my agency offers?
1: Well, um, there are frequently circumstances where, well, I wouldn't say frequently. That's not fair. There are some circumstances where an individual may not be eligible for a green card because they've got penalties against them. Um, It's like one of the main ones is called unlawful presence. So if you're here for more than six months without permission, you leave the country, you trigger a three-year bar. Uh, If you're here for a year, you leave, you trigger a 10-year bar. So it's pretty significant bars to a green card. So
0: if you just stay here, there is no trigger to that bar? Uh, It's more advantageous to... That's a funny loophole, (laughs) isn't it? All right.
1: It gets a little bit more... Yes, it gets a little complicated, which is why we always have to hear about their history, their comings and goings. But uh, to get back to your question, oftentimes when someone has an immigration inadmissibility issue, there's a waiver that they can file with the government asking them to excuse that situation. And these waivers get granted based on what's called extreme hardship to a U.S. citizen or lawful permanent resident family member. Okay. Okay, so let me break that down. Typically what that means is you have to have either a parent or a spouse that's a citizen or a resident who's going to really suffer if you are not allowed to get your residency and stay here. So imagine the guy who's been here for a super long time um, and he's got a spouse who is fighting cancer. Mm -hmm. Okay, And she is completely dependent on him for bringing her to the doctor, making sure she gets her medications, doing the household chores, all of that stuff. So what position is that U.S. citizen spouse going to be in if her husband gets deported or otherwise gets rejected for a green card? So oftentimes with these extreme hardship issues, uh, we do send them to go see counselors such as yourself because Mm -hmm. we have found that immigration is a lot more likely to grant a waiver if the argument of extreme hardship can be supported by the opinion of a professional. They're addressing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So if you have, you know, a professional who has met with the family multiple times, writes an extensive report about the psychological damage, the, you know, Mm -hmm. physical challenges that the spouse is going to experience if this green card isn't granted – Immigration takes that a lot more seriously. And granted, of course, we always include like support letters from friends and family to show the mm-hmm. support of it's the not community. Some, it's
0: not just some therapist they pay it off. Right. Not that we would take bribes, but no, it's it may an happen. actual
1: the the ones the therapists that we send our clients to don't just do a one and done. They mm-hmm. actually set up a client relationship. They meet with the families over several months to understand what's going on and then write the report based on their findings. Right on. Um, but oftentimes what we have found, especially especially with the victims of crime, okay, a lot of times these folks don't go seek counseling. They're just trying to deal with it. They're just trying to live their life and move on. And so what I have found is to send them to a psychologist to say, hey, you know, I, I, it would really be helpful to use the reports to be able to, to, to back up the arguments that you're making, but also you need to get some help. Because this is a very serious thing that you've gone through. You know, clients, one of the things that we have to discuss is how it's affected them. And they'll say, you know, I can't sleep. I have one lady who is she was attacked at her work so she's now afraid to leave her house i mean these are these are very serious and real psychological issues real post-traumatic
0: stress disorder exactly
1: and that's and that's where the help of a professional comes in
0: and for the listening audience uh if you may be going well yeah that's individual it's not individual uh the the psychological distress of an individual absolutely has a ripple effect and Mm -hmm. if you can if you don't know the ripple effect picture a perfectly still pond and then throwing a pebble into the center of it, the ripples will ripple out eventually all the way to shore, even though the pebble only struck one part of the pond. So to say that this is confined to the individual is not true. That individual, the lady who is attacked at work, for example, because I've dealt a lot with people who have been victims of um, violence mm-hmm. and suffer post-traumatic stress disorder, and the ripple effect looks something like They're edgy, irritated, hypervigilant, always on edge, can't sleep. And then what that looks like to the rest of their family members is uh, snapping at people, uh, easily angered, easily irritated. And then that ripple effect to the children or the spouses is it puts them on edge. They don't sleep well because they're having to tiptoe around, say, mom. Uh, who is the victim of the crime, mm-hmm. and they're not sure where to stand. Maybe basic needs don't get attended to. Dinner's late. Dinner doesn't get made because mom doesn't feel like eating because she's so full of anxiety and stress. And then the children, because they're stressed out, can't focus in school. School grades drop. And so it absolutely ripples out into society. Maybe they become edgy and irritated at school. They become bullying. And then it's my children or your children who get bullied by the kid whose parent was attacked at work and that's how the ripple effect permeates through society this is not this is not fantasy this is not us fluffing up our professions this is simply stating that the stress endured by an individual absolutely impacts everybody else around that individual. and that's what systemic thinking does it is, is it tells us that we are not confined to our little silos as individuals walking the planet, but we have interactions with one another. So when we talk about immigration you know I think that the knee-jerk re- response is to say, well, you know let those people deal with whatever they want in their own countries and, and then they'll figure it out like we did during the Revolutionary War, right? Harump, harumph, go mm-hmm. America. And that's not at all <laughs> how it is. I mean they're already here. Largely, or they're knocking at our door, and we have a responsibility not to inflict more pain across their families or our families, exactly. and to reach out and help them because ultimately, in the end, it's it's we who suffer yep. when when yep. these folks aren't getting treated, and that's not just immigration. Uh, stricken folks who are struggling with uh, persecution in their homelands. That's uh, kids on the playground to um, boss-client relationships to um, victims, random victims of crime of citizens walking down the street who have to reintegrate into society. So, you know, it it has long-reaching implications. I'm glad you touched on that.
1: I totally agree with that because I think that too often the conversation stops short at um, almost trying to, I guess, punish, in a sense, the the individuals that came over here and had you know what's kind of a slang term is oh the anchor it, babies the, the i anchor knew where you were going with yeah, that. yeah absolutely so they're they're trying to punish the parents of the anchor babies but they're completely ignoring the effects on the anchor babies which are us citizens born and raised By definition. citizens yep. exactly i mean it's this is a whole new generation dealing with the trauma and how is that going to instill any more confidence in our government when it's their parents they are being persecuted?
0: Well, and I and I think that, that psychologically what it does to our culture is that it creates this us versus them mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Us, the, the quote-unquote, the legitimate citizens, and then them, the illegitimate citizens, if I can use some really pejorative language and very strong language to separate the two so that we get into this us versus them battle. And, and what us versus them does, and I've, I've spoken on this in a few different capacities, it dehumanizes people yes. so that I no longer have... Have to care about these folks as human beings. I can just look at them as them or the other, and now I don't have to engage with them or interact with them. But um, if we do that, what ends up happening? And we'll take it back to the us versus them dichotomy. Me, my people, us—the ones on this side, quote uh, unquote—who are the legitimate citizens—will say we end up suffering the ills. Uh, that are experienced by the them because they interact with us in schools, in the marketplace, in the community. Um, we we have transactional relationships, we have harmonious relationships, we have all these relationships everywhere, and there is no us versus them, especially not in a world that's so well connected as ours is anymore. And so, wouldn't it be nice if we could all just drop the act of us versus them and say we we as human beings are you know are supposed to be operating in symbiotic connectivity we should be helping each other because ultimately what benefits you benefits me because we all elevate and that's not some page out of Marxism where you know everybody's equal except for these people over here who are just a little more equal because they control the resources mm-hmm. um, but but it's to say human to human we all should care about one another and yes there are rules and yes there are boundaries and yes there are limits that we should all respect and those can be clearly laid out front. But when those don't apply or when we find loopholes, now what do we do? Mm -hmm. What, are we just going to, like, ignore folks who are already in our country? And, like, um no that's that's going to drag the economy down it has impacts on education it's you know it's it's just it's just not beneficial to anybody and then it creates this resentment and then the resentment turns into chaos and the chaos turns into anger and bitterness and divisiveness and then we end up fighting exactly. and then we have crime and and violence and pain and i don't want any more pain
1: yeah exactly well and also when we start doing things like you know like the separation of families that we were talking about earlier i just i feel like we start to lose our own humanity yeah and we're really falling down a slippery slope that who knows where that leads. You know, I mean, where where does it end? Death where, and destruction. Where the disregard for humanity in general, I mean, that could that can go across the board.
0: Well, and, and simply thinking of turning humans into numbers is mm-hmm. is really problematic too. You go, you know, you got eleven. I don't even know what the number is. I just pulled one out. Eleven million illegals. Right. It's like what, um, they're your neighbors. Right. <laughs> like, um, that's that's the guy that served you food earlier. <laughs> that's that's the guy you're probably employing, and you don't know it. There like, are
1: a lot of people that I that I speak to who are very very anti-immigration and get all riled up about how they came over illegally. But yet, they they know one person. There's one person that either, like you said, it's oh, well, ne- he doesn't qualify. It's their neighbor. It's their you know. It's their grocer. It's their this. It's their that. And exactly, it's the completely different attitude because now there's a face. Mm-hmm. There's a name. Mm-hmm. It's an individual that they care about. It's not just this statistic. And all of a sudden, they have completely different thoughts on it. And they're saying, "Is there any way that you can get him any kind of status? Can we apply for something? Can I sponsor him?" And yeah. it's just like. Well, where is this attitude towards everybody else?
0: Sure, sure, and and I think that that when we when we surround ourselves with the toxicity of social media, for example, of Twitter, where you got a hundred—it's not one hundred and forty it's two hundred and eighty characters of soundbite, where the the only purpose is to stake out one's position and not go deep into detail or nuance. Um, it beca- the, the environment becomes toxic. Our psyches take that in, and and we create a toxic filter through which we see the world. Yep. and so we end up hearing things like you know the the illegal immigrants who are here illegally and illegal and illegal. now we've got a criminal associated with the the word. And Mm -hmm. so you hear undocumented, okay, undocumented citizen. Well, that's just a euphemism for illegal. And illegal means crime. And that means they're criminals. And criminals mean violence. And therefore, I don't want the guy who came over here as a refugee and is now settled and contributing to the economy and escaping his, his homeland violence um I don't want his violence coming into my neighborhood. It's like he's not violent.
1: Exactly. You just
0: you just made that up because your psyche was bombarded by so much negativity through mainstream media or or fringe media mm-hmm. that you can't think for yourself anymore. You can't tell it apart. And therefore, or I guess there, therein lies the lack of humanity that we um, that we, we possess. I mean, we don't possess humanity anymore for yeah, when a it comes to this. Sure. And we can extrapolate that to, to any sort of political games that get played from you know environmentalism to uh, protection of personal rights or whatever it is. And it becomes an us versus them. And, and if I'm on my side, then I don't have to care about your side because I pretend that I already know everything there is about you through mm-hmm. this label that's been given to me by somebody else. Even mine. Like, or, or through a sound bite. Or through a sound bite, or many sound bites that just stack up because I surround myself with an echo chamber because it helps keep me safe. Mm-hmm. If I don't have to, it, you know, we'll go back to what kicked off this show, which is um, the idea of leaving that which you know very well to go explore something deeper or different is very challenging. Simply moving one's ideas away from what you think you know best to something that you don't know is very challenging mm-hmm. and it can be scary. And that fear, if not able to be tolerated, can turn into contempt yeah. and where you're looking down on somebody else. So, yes, of course it's scary to entertain somebody else's viewpoint. Yes, of course it's scary to let go of what you think you know best in order to embrace that which you don't know at all. Mm-hmm. And that yet is how we connect as human beings. That's how we grow as people.
1: Exactly. If we don't question our our thoughts and our ideas and our views, we're just going to become stagnant.
0: Tell us, uh, if if we have some people who are um, connected to some immigrants who need some help or, um, you know how this works, you know, you have two friends and those two friends have two friends. Mm -hmm. And um, how might people get in touch with you? Give a plug for your service, of course. But then if you're thinking internationally, because we're blessed enough to have this podcast be international, talk about how people might go about seeking services of Competent legal counsel, and maybe you can speak a little bit to that without you know breaching your ethics and denigrating your profession, because I know there are some charlatans in your world like there are in mine. Yep. Speak to how they can pick a competent legal professional as opposed to those just masquerading as as such only to take money.
1: So the biggest challenge that we have seen, specifically in the field of immigration, is the word notary. Notario. Yes. uh, The notario in Mexico is a government official or an attorney. Um, Obviously, the public notary here is someone who can verify that you are who you say you are that's it and that's, that's about it yep. so what it frequently ends up happening is that individuals um you know from mexico or other such countries who have that word association go to a public notary here because the public notary has set up a sign that says hey i do immigration forms and so they okay great that, that that's an official person they know what they're doing i'm going to have them do my immigration stuff and unfortunately a lot of times we find that these individuals may be able to fill out the forms but they don't know the law behind it and that is very very critical because I'll give you a perfect Sounds example dangerous. well let's talk about asylum so if you file an affirmative asylum claim which means that you've gotten to the country uh, you're not in the immigration court process yet or anything like that you've just you've escaped You file an asylum application. You're going to go and do your interview with the immigration officer. If the immigration officer doesn't feel that there's enough evidence or information to warrant an approval, instead of denying it, what they're going to do is they're going to automatically forward you to immigration court, where the judge will have a second look at your application. So you get a second chance at it. Fresh look. He's not going to be biased by anything. But that's it,
0: right? If what? he doesn't, if he doesn't, oh, sorry, I'll just stop interrupting.
1: No, it's okay.
0: <laughs> As if I know.
1: But here's what happens. So a lot of times these notarios don't know that, or they're not doing any follow-up. They're just kind of filing the forms, and then they disappear. And then maybe the individual moves, they don't follow up with their application, and they don't know that their case has now been forwarded to immigration court. And so the uh, the immigration judge has the hearing. They don't show up because they didn't know. And the judge orders them deported. It's called an in absentia yeah. deportation order. So I had this happen with a gentleman who, a million years ago, started an application with a notario. And That's a long
0: time. Is he a dinosaur? He
1: pretty much is. Oh, okay. I think it was like 20 years ago. And <laughs> his son had just turned 21, his U.S. citizen son. So now he was of age to apply for his dad. And hmm. we sat down and, and discussed his case. And I said, okay, now, important question, have you ever filed anything before? And he said, well, yeah, there was this asylum application, but nothing happened. And I said, well, what do you mean nothing happened? Well, I filed it, but I didn't really follow up. And I said, do you have any... And your
0: stomach sinks oh, to your 100%. shoes?
1: 100%. And I said, do you have any paperwork at all you know, about this? He, well, I brought this one piece of paper. So thankfully, wow, he kept it. thankfully he did. He had it. And I called the immigration court hotline and entered his information. And sure enough, he had a deportation order on his record. Wow. So what does that mean? That means it stops the green card. So this is why it's so dangerous to go to a public notary as opposed to an actual immigration attorney who knows the mm-hmm. law because you want to make sure that, first of all, you're eligible for what you're applying for yeah. and that you're going to be following through with the process because there's some very serious consequences if you don't.
0: So true or false, some people are purposely setting themselves up under that moniker and acting as... yes officials preying on the ignorance of the, the yes. individuals
1: in fact the state bar of california and the state bar of nevada have made this kind of a primary focus topic for them especially in california because it is such a problem it's called the unauthorized practice of law and they are pursuing several public notaries and shutting them down because that is That's essentially good. what they're doing it's the unauthorized yeah. practice of law they're hang- they're holding themselves out as attorneys when they're not
0: yeah that's, uh, that's something that happens in our field, but it's very, very tough to pin down. At least in your field, there's bright line rules around it. Ours, you know, you can set yourself up as a life coach and basically do a, what amounts to counseling, but without the training, education, practice, or ethical code, mm-hmm. and uh, actually do some harm. And in your case, you know, they, the harm is. You can be kicked out of the country in charge of the crime. Yeah, that's that's pretty serious.
1: It is. It is. So if if someone is looking, you know, if you have someone in mind that you're wanting to go talk to, you can always look them up on the state bar. So every state in the U.S. has a state bar of. So we're at the state bar of Nevada. You can do an attorney search to first of all, it's right on the front page. Make sure the person is an attorney, and also do they have any disciplinary sanctions against them? Because that's important to know too. Yeah.
0: And and I would imagine that internationally systems are set up similar. Right, probably so, so. Yeah, even even in Europe, we we might have you, you know you don't have the state bar of, but you have probably got some sort of barrister association that mm-hmm. registers legal counsel, and I, I imagine they could they could be searched as well.
1: Absolutely, and I would say you know if you are if you are specifically looking for information on immigration to the U.S make sure you are talking to a U.S. attorney.
0: Good point. Um,
1: You know, sometimes I have people call me and say, I want to immigrate to Canada. How do I do that? I have no idea. I don't practice Canadian law. Right. Um, So you want to make sure that person... I can give you
0: a map and that is about it. (laughs) That's
1: about it. But I don't know beyond that. So, yeah, you just want to make sure that you're talking to someone who knows what's going on and what the options are.
0: How do these people reach you?
1: They can reach me through email, which is info, I-N-F-O, at EnglishLawPractice.com, or they can give us a call. We have two lines. um, Area code 775-771-0343 is the main line. If they want to speak directly to a Spanish interpreter, the phone number is 775-843-9575. Now we can do telephonic appointments. We do Skype appointments. I mean, we've talked to people all over the world and had consultations while they were sitting in the comfort of their living room in Hungary or Switzerland or Indonesia awesome. or wherever. Um, and what they a great can, service! Yeah, and they can you know they can find out what their options are and what the process is going to look like before they before they actually jump in.
0: Um, I want to wrap this up out of respect for the listening audience, but I do want to pick your brain just a little bit. In my field, uh, I'm going to birdwalk this just a little bit. In my field, we are limited to practicing within the states in which we are licensed. So I can't do what you just described um, unless that person is uh, physically here. Because the way it's uh, interpreted is, I am reaching into their space. Interesting. Yeah. So, but that doesn't uh, that doesn't apply to you apparently.
1: No. Well, immigration law is federal, so hmm. I can I can do it anywhere. Um, but. The way that it works is that typically, so if someone is in another country wanting to immigrate, um, 99% of the time it's because they have a U.S. citizen family member who is petitioning on their behalf.
0: I see. Self-petitioners
1: are very rare, Hmm. very rare. We've done a few of them, but there are very exceptional circumstances. So the standard rule is you have to have someone, U.S. citizen or permanent resident, apply for you. So what happens is that we meet with the family members who are here. And say, you know, they say, okay, They're the
0: client and they invite in the...
1: My fiancé lives in Australia. I want to bring him over. My mother is in Mexico. I want to bring her over. How do we do that?
0: That's very cool. And so
1: they start the process with us as the petitioners and then we just kind of carry them through the whole thing.
0: Not to turn this into a telehealth conversation because that's probably another podcast for another day, but how much of your business is done um, telephonically or telecommunicatively?
1: Mm, That's a good question. I would say, I mean, I would say at least 50% is definitely done over email mm-hmm. because, you know, it's, there so many of our clients there are, are obviously are, are, are overseas. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, the consular processing that we go through is all electronic. The national mm-hmm. visa center does everything electronically, but, um, you know, obviously the family members that are here, we meet with them in person.
0: Right, right that's awesome. I know that, uh, telehealth is an emerging practice in our, in our profession, in our trade, because, uh, so many people are hurting in so many places that are so far flung from mm-hmm. the population centers that it's just very, very challenging to get practitioners out there and then, um, in general, but also to, to pay them for the travel that is, is sunk along the way, right. um, that we're, we're all exploring the paths to, Telehealth and one of the obstacles is this licensure thing. So we're exploring things like licensure, not only uh, reciprocity where you can apply oh, in a yeah, different state and get get another state's license, but also portability mm-hmm. where several states could sign up for a compact and mm-hmm. say that if you're if you're licensed in any of one of these states, you're good to practice in any of them. And there are barriers to that, such as, you know, minimum standards and so forth. But, uh, that, that is something that I would I'd be very interested in pursuing, especially if the format is already laid out in something like law or right. medicine right. Uh, generally. So, um, thanks for that. And maybe if you're in the listening audience and you have a solution, <laughs> reach out to info at zephyrwellness.org or info at And we can rap about how we can solve the world's ales. Because I'm all about those conversations. Well, Carmen, I have taken up enough of your time. It is coming up on the hour here, and I'm sure you have more work to do. Um, appreciate the contributions. I'm sure somebody got something good out of this.
1: Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. And it And if great. not,
0: we just got to visit. That's good enough. <laughs> Pub- publicly to, uh, to an international audience. Yeah, there you go. Well, uh, again, thanks for joining us along the way. And on behalf of the Zephyr Wellness team, we encourage your contributions to the conversation. If you have anything you want to weigh in with, um, please keep the political um, discourse uh, you know to a minimum. We're, we're not a politics show, uh, but keep it more geared toward the, the legal aspect or the mental health aspect. Uh, hit us up with those questions. Like I said, info at org. And on behalf of the Naga Notes team... Um, spread spread the joy. Uh, don't keep Naga Notes all to yourself. If I may rip off a colleague of mine at uh, over at Pod Therapy, uh, another good podcast if you want to listen. Don't keep it all to yourself. Share it with other people. We put this out there for free for a reason, and that reason is to help other people help themselves because it's just better to live in a whole world than a broken world. So, um, Info at com if you want to catch us there. Otherwise, tune in next week for more talk in the Naga notes podcast and if you haven't yet download the app give us a rating and review and share that as well thanks everybody and we'll catch you again carmen say goodbye
1: bye everybody